Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to talk to you today. Uh, we've been talking about discipleship. And, uh, and we talked about making disciples for, for a, a number of weeks. And then uh, we're talking about uh, being a disciple. And last week, I'll tell you what an amazing word Pastor Scott Adams brought. I, I just sat there and was so blessed, so encouraged. And, and today, I want to talk to you about discipleship. And I want to continue on a little bit. Uh, along the theme of, of what Dr. S- Scott Adams started last week, how to be a disciple. But I want to I go backwards rather than forwards with that. And I want to back up and I want to talk to you about salvation. And this is not uh, exhaustive, but I want to tell you seven things you need to know about salvation. Seven things you need to know about salvation. That may sound like a whole lot of points to you, but I just want you to relax and know that I'm going to get to every single one in the short three hours that we have for the service this morning. So I don't want you to worry about that. So I want to start off with, uh, with three scriptures that I think are, are really important. And as, as Pastor Don was, was uh, sharing this morning, I just felt another confirmation in my spirit that, that this was the direction that the Lord wanted me to go in. So I want to begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Those three words are very important. To us who are, who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians 3.15. 1 Corinthians 3.15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself, look at these three words, will be saved. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And then I want to direct your attention to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Now, I want to tell you something about heaven. One thing you need to know about heaven is nobody will be boasting in heaven about how they got there. Nobody will be walking around saying, let me tell you how I got here. I got here because I didn't do any of the things I wasn't supposed to do. And I did everything I was supposed to do. And, and I'm, I was just an amazing person. I had an incredible track record. Everybody who makes it to heaven will get there only by the grace of God, 100%. Nobody will be boasting about their, their strength or their, their willpower or all the things that they have done. Now, I want you to notice in those three verses that we just looked at, we have past, present, and future. We have past, present, and future. We are being saved. That's present tense. We will be saved. That's future tense. And we have been saved. That is past tense. So I want to ask you a question. Are you being saved? Will you be saved? Or have you been saved? And while you're, I see the wheels turning, I just want to give you the answer. The answer is yes. 
The answer is yes. If you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. You will be saved. Yes, you are being saved if you have been saved. And, and as I talk to you today about seven things that we need to know about salvation, I want to focus on the past tense part of this word saved and what it means to us. The easiest way for me to explain this is to, is to, to share with you that we are a three-part being, that we are body, soul, and spirit. The Bible teaches that. Paul talks about that in his letters. And, and so when it comes to salvation and we're looking at, at these different aspects of salvation, our bodies will be saved. Our bodies will be saved. That happens at the resurrection. Our bodies will be saved. We will be resurrected. Uh, the Bible, a Bible theological term for that is glorification. It's the culmination of our, our complete and total uh, salvation. But we, our bodies will be saved. Uh, and we will receive a brand new body. And I'm just telling you, you can't believe what I'm going to look like when I get to heaven and get my new body. I'm just telling you right now. Right now, whether you realize it or not, regardless of how you feel, you live in a body that is decaying. You live in a body that is dying. We believe in healing. We pray for people to be healed. And we've seen many, many, many people healed. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but I want you to understand that even if you are healed, your body is still dying. Your body is still dying. And so, so we, our bodies will be saved. Our, our souls, our souls, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions are being saved. And the theological term we use for that is sanctification. We're changing from glory to glory. We're, we are uh, being changed. James chapter 1 verse 21 tells us to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. To save our souls. The Greek word uh, for saved is the word sozo. It's S-O-Z-O, and it's pronounced S-O-E-D, sozo. And it means that we are uh, made whole, body, soul, and spirit. And, and another part of that meaning is that we are made perfect, body, soul, and spirit. One day, one day our bodies will be made perfect. One day our souls will be perfected. Our bodies will be saved. Our souls are being saved, and our spirits have been saved. If you have surrendered completely to the Lord Jesus Christ, your spirit has been saved. And that's what we call justification. Instantly made right in the sight of God. The righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It is an instantaneous act when I surrender to Jesus. I, I, it, it is an accomplished work. It, uh, Corinthians chapter 1 verse 13 says this. That he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, And this is why Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
The old has passed away and all, uh, all things have become new. How many of you have experienced that? Just raise your hand if you have experienced that. Old things passed away, all things have become new. Now I'll tell you what, that, that verse is absolutely true. It's absolutely accurate. But how many of you, if you were honest, you could say along with me that I know a miracle occurred in my life. I know that a miracle occurred. And, and, and I, I rejoice at the first part of that verse that I am a brand new creation. But at the same time, after I've been saved for more than about 15 minutes, I realize there's some other things that need to be worked out. There's some other things that, that are happening that are going on. So my body will be saved. My soul is being saved and my spirit has been saved. What I mean by that is my spirit, your spirit, when we have been given birth by the spirit of God, that it is in complete harmony with the Holy Spirit, complete harmony with the spirit of God. My spirit is, 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 it has been saved. And you might say, well, Pastor Paul, what does that look like? Because there's still some things that I'm struggling with. And I would say that you're struggling either with the soul part or, or the physical body part, but our spirits have been saved. So what does that look like? Let me, let me give you an example that the Lord made very real to me. Years ago, we were invited, our family was invited to a friend's house along with several other families for a crawfish boil. And uh, we had a week very similar to this week. It rained every day. And so uh, the, the people who had invited called and said, even though it's raining, we're, we're boiling crawfish, y'all come. So we came. The rain stopped when we got to their house and we were able to get out of the car. Our children were young. My oldest daughter was about 10, which would make my son, who's the caboose, about five. And, uh, and my, my oldest daughter... Uh, had just gotten a brand new outfit. She had some, uh, I think it was some kind of a jumper, I don't know, but she was so excited to wear this brand new outfit. She looked so cute and she was, she knew it and she was proud of it. And so we get out of the car and we're walking up to the house and as we're walking on the sidewalk, there was some, some moss on the sidewalk and she slipped and fell and I mean just slid on the sidewalk and got filthy. There's mud, there's you know, just dirt and, and she's all wet. And she cried and cried and cried, not because it physically hurt her, but it just, she, she was just so upset that her outfit was all dirty. And we walk up to the house and knock on the door and the lady of the house is just so gracious said, Oh, Carrie, come on in. We're going to find something for you to wear. And I'm going to put your clothes in the washer and dryer and we'll get them all cleaned up. And you'll be able to get them on, uh, just in a, in a little while. And so they started that process. In the meantime, we're visiting, eating crawfish, having a real good time. After we ate, some of the guys gravitated to the back porch. And in the, in the back corner of this yard, there was an area probably the size of about half of this stage. There was this huge puddle in this backyard. And my son, who was five years old, and his little buddy, who was five years old, I see them and they're walking around this big puddle. And there, you can just see that they're talking about it and they're pointing at it. And one of them walks over and goes, and he looks at, he, he looks at the other one and the other one goes, and then, then the first one goes, and then the next one goes, and then the, and then the first one goes, and then the next one jumps. And in a matter of just a few minutes, they are backing up 
and getting a running start and diving in and sliding. So what I want to point out is the, is the difference in the relationship between my daughter and my son and mud. And let's just assume that mud represents sin. And my daughter was brokenhearted because she had gotten dirty and she couldn't wait to get clean. She, she slipped, she fell. She didn't intend on, on falling and getting dirty, but it broke her heart that she, was, she found herself filthy. And she couldn't wait to get clean. And my son, on the other hand, his nature had not yet been redeemed. He was rejoicing in the mud. He was like, yay, let's just dive in. And I want you to know that there is a change in our hearts. And it doesn't mean that we are perfect. It doesn't mean that physically that we are perfect or that our souls have been, we are in that process, but my spirit has been perfected. And if I slip, if I don't measure up, there's a part of me that hates that, that just hates that and can't wait to get clean, can't wait to come to the father and receive his cleansing and receive his newing, his renewing. And so I want to talk to you about seven things about salvation that you need to go need to know. And here we go. Number one, salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Here's a way that will help you remember it. Salvation is not a goal to achieve. It is a gift we receive. It's not a goal to achieve, but it is a gift to receive. It is by grace. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. It is by grace. And and if it's by grace, then it cannot be by works. You cannot have it both ways. It's got to be one or the other. It's either a gift or you earn it. It's either free or or you pay for it. Romans chapter 11 and verse 6 says this, but if it is by grace, then it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Again, if it's a gift, you cannot pay for it. You cannot earn it. Otherwise, it is not a gift. Imagine that it's your birthday and I show up at your house with a great big box and it's wrapped with beautiful paper and I present it to you as your birthday gift. And you're like, oh, Pastor Paul, I didn't even know you knew. And I said, well, you know, the Lord just spoke to my heart and laid it on my heart that I needed to get this for you. And you, you take the gift and you open it up. And let's just assume that it is a very, very expensive thing that you probably would not have purchased for yourself but it's something you really, really wanted. And so you open it up and there it is. And you're like, oh, wow, Pastor Paul, I can't believe. I, I just, thank you. Thank you so much. I said, well, you know, I just, I felt impressed. I wanted to buy you this gift and, and I just wanted to bring it and I wanted to give it to you. And you're like, oh, this is just amazing. This is the greatest. And then I would say, so uh, I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you enjoy it. How, how would you like to pay for that? Would you like to uh, just uh, give me cash or you want to use a credit card? <laughs> And you would say, whoa, you know, I, uh, I must have misunderstood. I thought it was a gift. And I would say, yeah, yeah, it's a gift. I want to give it to you. But how do you want to pay for it? Is it going to be cash or credit card? 
And you would, you would be caught in this conundrum. Either it's a gift or you earn it. Either it's a gift or you pay for it. And I want to tell you something. You can't pay for salvation before you get saved. And you can't even pay for salvation after you get saved. It is a gift to receive, not something that we are working for, trying to earn. Here's the second thing. Salvation is eternal life. Salvation is eternal life. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin. That's what we have earned. That's what we have earned. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal life. That's the gift. It's eternal life. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 25 says, And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. That is what salvation is. Can anyone here tell me, can, can God lie? Can God tell a lie? No, God cannot tell a lie. And this is his promise to us, the, the promise that he made. It is eternal life. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to guess. You don't have to hope. You don't have to uh, 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 just long for it. But you can know in your heart that you have received eternal life. Now, let me ask you this. How long is eternal life? Come on. I need, I need a little uh, help this morning. How long is eternal life? It's forever. When does eternal life start? Anybody? I, I hear a lot of people thinking, but you're not thinking clear enough for me to understand what you're saying. When does eternal life begin? It begins, it begins when I, when I, if somebody would say if it begins when I die, I would say that's exactly right. When you die to self, when you die to self, when you are born again, that's when eternal life begins. The spirit of God, the spirit of God comes into us and we begin this brand new life. And that's why Paul uh, says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 says he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. No longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So eternal life, again, it begins when we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not begin when, when God decides that we really are going to be good enough to deserve it. It begins when I surrender my life to Christ and I die to myself, to my ways. I die to me being in control and I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. Here's number three. Salvation is forgiveness. It is forgiveness. Acts 13 and verse 38 says, Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus there is forgiveness for your sins. Jeremiah 34 says, uh, 31, verse 34 says this, And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they, they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness. 
And I will never again remember their sins. This is God speaking. He says, I will forgive their wickedness and never again remember their sins. Psalms 103 says he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Forgiveness is the complete and total release from the penalty of our sin. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, when I say complete and total, I mean exactly that. It is the complete and total. And if we were to go even further, I'd say we're just scratching the surface when we talk about that because because really it's even more powerful than just being released and free from the penalty of our sin. We're freed from the presence of sin. We're freed from the pleasure of sin. We are freed from the penalty of sin. This is better than you thought it was. And I want you to know that when God says, I I will never remember this against them, I, I will not remember their sins, I don't believe that God can forget, but I believe God chooses to forget. God chooses not to remember. He makes that choice. Those are never held against us again. I'm thankful that God knows how to deal with all of my past and deal with all of our sins. And we don't have to allow our past to affect our present or our future. Here's number four. Salvation is, and I'm going to use a couple of words here in the next few points, but they're words that are important. And it's important because because when you become a child of God, there are some words that belong to the culture, that belong to the kingdom of God. And you need to understand something about those words. Salvation is justification. Salvation is justification. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but being justified freely by his grace. Again, we can't work for it. We can't earn it. But we are justified freely by faith in Christ. Uh, We have also believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Justified, if I could give you a definition of that uh, in this context, it means just as though I had never sinned. Just as though I had never done wrong. Just as though I had never ignored God and gone my own way. And it means even more than that. Not only just as though I had never sinned, but also just as though I have always perfectly obeyed. Just as though I had always perfectly obeyed. This word, justice, justify, we also get the the root word just, we get the word justice from this, and I want you to understand that it is justice for God to sentence me, and for God to sentence you to heaven. It is justice, it's a matter of justice for God to sentence, sentence us to heaven when we have given our hearts to him. A lot of people say, well, how, you know, how can God be all loving with God sending people to hell? No, 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 no. You don't understand. People are already on their way to hell. What God did was make a way of escape. So people didn't have to go in that direction so that they could step out into the glorious life that he has provided for each and every one of us. God is just and he cannot. It is justice. It is justice for God to sentence you and I to heaven because he cannot punish two people for the same crime. And he's already punished Jesus. So you and I can experience his life and freedom. That is what it means to be justified. Number five, salvation is righteousness. 
It is righteousness. Romans 4 and verse 3 says this. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. He believed God. We talk a lot about the, the importance of believing. That's the, that is a super important thing. We believe God and it was counted to him. Now this particular uh, verse is from the, uh, the ESV. Some of the other uh, translations will put an A in front of that word counted. And it, it's, it says it, it, he, it was accounted to him. So it was counted to him. It was accounted to him. It's speaking about, you know, you and I have bank accounts. We have savings accounts. We have accounts. And, and what it's describing here, what happened, it was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness, right standing before God. Right standing before God. When I looked in my account, the only thing that was in my account was sin. If you would look in Jesus' account, the only thing in his account is righteousness. And what happened was that God took all of the sin that was in my account and he put that in Jesus' account and he took the righteousness in Jesus' account and he put it in my account. And that's why the word of God says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When I am in Christ, that is what fills my account. It is righteousness, the righteousness of God. And it is amazing. This is all, this is all your choice. It's my choice. God has given us a free will and we can choose this. Why would anybody pass this up? Why would anybody pass up Jesus and everything that he does, everything that he is. I, one of my favorite songs is a song that's it's not new, it's been around for a while and the title of the song is I Got Saved and I love the course of that song. It says I'm undone by the, the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I've, uh, he got, he got a, I, I'm, I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life and I love this last line. I got Jesus, how could I want more? That sums it up. I got Jesus, how could I want more? When you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. And the most powerful testimony any of us can have in our community is that no matter what is going on in the circumstances of our life, that we are still absolutely satisfied with Jesus. That he, we never blame him or accuse him. That we're satisfied. We know that he's our strength. We know that he's our peace. We know that he's our source. We know that he's our comfort. We know that he's our provider. We know that he is our deliverer. He is my everything. My all in all. I don't need anything else. I may want a lot of other things. But I don't need anything else. I got Jesus. How could I want more? Here's, here's number six. Salvation is redemption. Salvation is redemption. And let me tell you what this, what this means, what it means to be redeemed. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. That's what it means to be redeemed. That Jesus paid a price, a high price. Peter says you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. But with the precious blood of the sinless lamb of God. And you do not belong to you. 
If you have been, if you have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, a high price was paid for you, was paid for me, and we do not belong to ourselves. for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So one thing, one, one thing that we need to understand is that at its very core, salvation is a change in ownership. It is a change in ownership. And I, I never did belong to myself. I was born into darkness. I was a slave to sin. I, I had no way to overcome. Uh, Paul talks about it. Let me, let me just read a little bit here in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, once you were dead. And he's talking to people just like I am. You're sitting here. You're alive. You're breathing. You have a pulse. There's a heartbeat. And Paul was talking to people who are sitting there listening to him physically alive. And he says, you were once dead. You were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil. You thought that was, that was just you. No, he, there was somebody behind the curtain who was saying, you need to give them a piece of your mind. You need to tell them what you need to just, don't let them walk all over you. You need to just take that. Nobody's looking. Nobody will see you. You could oh, just do it once. Nobody will ever find out. that the, the origin of those thoughts was not just entire, entirely your mind or your thoughts the devil has been whispering the devil is the one who is the accuser of the brethren and he accuses makes accusations against God makes accusations against other people he is the one who is behind that whispering those accusations he is the commander of the powers of the unseen world he is the spirit at work in the hearts who refuse to obey God all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. God has given you the greatest gift in the world. It's the gift of a free will. And the Bible tells us over and over, Moses writing and just, just speaking the heart of God says, God, it's set before you today, life and death, a blessing or a curse. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. It is a choice. You can choose life or death. You can choose a blessing or a curse. And, and, and not only Moses, but from that time on, the heart of God has been crying out, choose life, choose life for you and for your descendants. And when you and I surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, we no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. We no longer are just a, a, a subject of the enemy of our souls, but we belong. We belong. We are a possession. I am the property of Jesus Christ. I belong 
to Jesus. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is great news. That is great news. So salvation is, it is a gift. It is eternal life. It is forgiveness. It is justification. It is righteousness. It is redemption. And all of these things, as I've shared with you, all of these things, you cannot work for them. You cannot buy them. You cannot purchase them. It is a free gift. You can't get it from any department store. You can't get it from Costco. You can't get it from a hospital. It only comes from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody might say, well, you know, what's number seven? What is, is there a catch to all this? And I want to say to you, here's number seven. Here's the seventh thing that you need to know about salvation. Salvation is total commitment. It is total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people just want fire insurance. They want to live the way they want to live. And they just want to be sure that they're not going to end up in hell. And I just want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot play games with God. We cannot play games with God. God is patient. God is loving. God is kind. God deals with us. He starts from where we are and God woos us and draws us to himself. His Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness and the judgment to come. And, and I want you to know that what God requires is total commitment. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says to a group of people, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? He said, everybody can see it. Everybody can see it. You can see it. I can see it. Everybody around you can see it. Why are you calling me Lord? And even doubling that, Lord, Lord, but you're not doing the things that I say. And if you would look with me at this final portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 22, and 23. Jesus is speaking. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Or one of the other uh, translations says, you who practice lawlessness. Now one should have looked at verse 22. It says on judgment day, many, many, we're not told how many, there's not a number that's given to us, but we're just told it's many. Many is more than a few, right? So it's not just a few, it's not an insignificant number, it is many. It means a lot. There, there are many, and they're saying, Lord, Lord, and they're trying to justify themselves, and they're saying, we did some of these things. We prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we performed many miracles in your name. These are things that we did. There are many, not just a few, there are many, we're saying, hey, we did all this. Where, where do you think most of those people are? You, you, probably, you probably, most of those people are probably not at the bar, right? They're probably not at the club. Most of those people are probably in a church somewhere. They're probably in a church. And I would... I would say that most of those people are probably involved in active ministry. Most of those people are probably involved in active ministry. Would you, would you agree with my reasoning? Agree with that, that thought. So he says, many are saying, Lord, Lord, 
We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never, I never knew you. I never knew you. If there are many who are in active ministry, who are in that position, how many more might just be attending church, just coming to church occasionally, Christmas and Easter, twice a month, even every week, but they've never really come to that place of surrendering everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody might say, well, Pastor Paul, I'm confused. How can I know that I'm really saved? And I would ask you this question, who's in charge? Who is in charge of your life? If you're just going through life, doing what you think is best, you never, you're not talking to God. You're not inquiring of the Lord. You're not seeking God's help, God's blessing, God's will, God's direction, God's approval. You're, you're just, you know, if you are in charge of your life, if you are running your life, if you're just doing what you want to do, I would say to you, based on, on the scripture that I've shared with you today, that you are probably not going to heaven. And somebody needs to be bold enough to tell you that. Not in a self-righteous, judgmental kind of a way, but in a loving, caring way to rescue you, to, to open your eyes and to bring you to the knowledge of the Savior. You might say, well, you know, I thought all I had to do was believe. If I just believe in God, if I just believe that there is a God, and that if I just believe in Jesus, let me, let me see if I can help you understand the, the Bible, what the Bible means when it talks about believing and the kind of belief we need to have. In James chapter 2 and verse 19, James is addressing a group of people and he says, you say you have faith because you believe that there is one God. And he says, good for you good for you. But he says, you need to understand even the demons believe this and they tremble. They tremble in terror. The demons really believe this. They believe this even more than you do, but they're not getting, they're not getting saved because they're not surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. I would just say to you, if there is any doubt in your mind, about the issue of salvation. If there's any question, why would you not settle that today? We're talking about eternity. Literally, there is nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important. And on top of all that, we're in church and it's Sunday. What an incredible time to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I couldn't think of a better atmosphere, a better place, a better time. And God's Holy Spirit is calling you and dealing with your heart. And if there's ever been a question, if you've ever struggled with doubts, why wouldn't you settle that today and surrender your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's what I want to do. I want to pray. 
I want to pray right now. I'm going to ask everyone in this room, just bow your heads with me, close your eyes, just to shut out every other distraction. And I want to ask everyone in this room to repeat this prayer after me. And if you would like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you would like to surrender to him, and if you would like to experience what it is to be born again and be adopted into the family of God, you can take these words and mean them from your heart. And I'm telling you, a miracle will happen in your heart. Let's pray together right now. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I come before you and I admit that I'm a sinner. I've gone places I shouldn't have gone. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. And I am so sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry for my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he went to the cross in my place. That he died and rose again on the third day. And today, I openly declare that I surrender to his lordship, his ownership of my life. And I will serve him for the rest of my life, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, until I finally see him face to face. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for, for putting your spirit inside of me. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God thanks right now. Give God thanks right now. Now, I want to I tell you something. I'm not quite through. But I'm going to wrap it up right now. And I want to tell you something. Over 100 times in the New Testament alone, you will find this phrase, one another. One another. Salvation is not something that is just... You know, it is very private in the sense that nobody can pray that prayer for me. I have to pray that prayer for myself. But God created us to be part of a, a larger group of people, to be part of a spiritual family. And over and over, over a hundred times, just in the New Testament, you will find phrases like love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, serve one another, exhort one another, greet one another, be kind to one another, welcome one another. It just goes on and on and on, which speaks about the importance of us not only believing, but how important it is for us to belong. Now, you might think it's funny, but I like tubas. You know, the marching bands, I like marching bands and I like tubas. I think they bring a, an incredible sound to that entire marching band. But you'll never find a recording of tuba music all by itself. Nothing but tubas. No, a tuba is no good unless it has a band. And here in, in Louisiana, for the last number of years, we have had one of the greatest quarterbacks for the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees. I mean, he is absolutely amazing. But you all know, just like I do, that a quarterback all by himself cannot win a game. He's got to have an offensive line to protect him. He's got to have receivers who can run. He's got to have other running backs that he can hand off to. A quarterback all by himself will never win a game. You understand that a baby 
cannot survive on its own. And that's why God created the whole plan and the whole order that babies belong in families. And spiritually, you belong in a spiritual family. When you are born again, you belong in a spiritual family. We have the discipleship books that are available out in the front. I encourage every one of you to get one of those and find someone or several people that you can go through that uh, together, that you can do that with one another. Because that's the, that's the setting where we can ask questions, where we can uh, dig into God's word. That's the setting where we can encourage one another. We can question one another. We can share with one another. We can teach one another. And it is so important that we not only believe, but that we belong. And this is a great opportunity for you to belong. You need to be in a discipleship group. Now, I just want to, could we just raise the house lights just a little bit more, just because I want to be able to see how many of you who are here right now, you prayed that prayer and, and for you, you were asking Jesus to come into your heart. Many of you have prayed that prayer in the past. I'm not asking for you to respond, but if you prayed that prayer today to ask Jesus to come into your heart, would you just raise your hand? Let me see how many of you here today, you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to come into your heart. All right, all right. Here's what the word of God says. The word of God says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Something very important happens when I make that declaration. I've surrendered to Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. And I challenge you, uh, Pastor Don, if you would just come and, and close us out. I challenge you this morning, uh, right after we close in prayer, before you leave the building today, find someone and make that open declaration to them. I have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Amen.